Our scripture, which is also printed for you there, is from Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. Exodus 2, 11 through 25. This is God's holy word. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting each other. And he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well... Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, Why have you come back so soon today? So they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, And what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Where is he then? Why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. And they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Thus far, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible Word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we pray that You'll help us to appreciate Moses and his situation the challenges before Him, the mistakes He made, and the rewards that He received from Your hand through grace. And we pray that we might see those things in our lives also. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now last time I uh, called your attention to the fact that Moses needed an identity because he had an Israelite mother and then he had an Egyptian foster mother. And so he wasn't really quite sure what he was for a while, but he certainly came to that place where he wanted to identify 
with Israel. And we compared him to Joseph, who virtually became an Egyptian. I don't think Joseph ever lost his connection to his family, the family of Jacob, but for the most of his life that he was an officer in Egypt, he certainly identified as an Egyptian. Moses, as we said, is looking for an identity. Now, Joseph had an Egyptian name even, uh, Zaphnath Panea, but Moses only had this name as far as we know. It's uh, reasonable to think, well, in Moses' house, his mother called him some Hebrew name, but uh, the only name that's given to us in the Scriptures is Moses, and it was given to him by Pharaoh's daughter. And it uh, means something like one who's drawn out of the water. And so it fits, of course, the the situation in which she found him. And then uh, also I called your attention to the fact that that Moses had uh, a great connection to the Nile River. Now as he goes off in the passage that we read today, he sort of leaves the Nile behind, but then he'll come back again to the Nile River. And uh, the fact that uh, he has this river in his uh, background, and again, to some extent, in the the time that he spent there in leading the Israelites out of Egypt, well, he uh, had at at that point kind of an emotional connection to that country. And one of the things that he had to do if he was going to be identified as an Israelite was a willingness to leave that behind. Uh, There are many places in our country that we have emotional attachments to, places where we grew up, places that we visited, places that identify with our country. It's hard to leave those behind. Sometimes the Lord calls us to do that, even to leave behind mother and father, brother and sister to follow Him. But God has another river that uh, we read about in Scripture, the river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. And uh, we pointed out there's no water uh, that you would call a river that flows by or in Jerusalem, but there is the river of God which is the flowing of His blessings. And uh, this is the river that Moses will then take up as his river eventually. The blessings of God poured down upon him, upon the, the people of God. And so when God takes us away from one thing, He always gives us another thing in order that we may be blessed, and it's, it's uh, most often a better thing. And, and so it was the river of God uh, belonged to uh, Moses, and uh, the river of Egypt stayed with those people who were perishing. Now, our study last time introduced us to Moses, who was called by Stephen in his uh, account of Moses' birth. He says he was no ordinary child. We take that to mean that it wasn't just that he was handsome or he was the the baby. I think everybody's baby is always the most beautiful baby that there is. But uh, she saw something, his mother saw something, uh, by which she understood that God was going to do something special with this child. He was not an ordinary child. Nothing wrong with being an ordinary child. But uh, he was going to be a special person. So Pharaoh, the daughter, of course, found him hidden in the river, hidden in the basket that was floating in the river. But thanks to God and His providence, Moses' true mother was able to raise him. And uh, we think 
instill in him this idea that he was a special child, not that he was better than everybody else, but that he had gifts from God and that he would someday do something to help the Israelites who were in such sorrow and heavy bondage. That the time would come when he would be a leader of the Israelites and that he would lead them out of their captivity. So today the the narrative continues with Moses having grown to manhood and we find him a powerful, Scripture says he was a man of power, he was powerful and educated, he was versed in all the learning of Egypt. I don't know if they had universities in those days, but uh, however these nobility people and those who had important places were educated, he received that kind of education. And yet, he was also keenly aware that eventually he would not be a part of that culture, that Egyptian culture that had become so ingrained in his life, but he would indeed have this identity that we spoke of earlier as being a part of the people of God. And the book of Hebrews tells us that he deliberately chose to suffer persecution with God's people uh, than to have all the treasures of Egypt. Now I'd like to uh, speak about Moses today in, in several categories. And uh, the first of these is that he was the presumptuous brother. I don't mean so much a brother like he was a brother to Aaron, but uh, we read that he went out to his brethren that is, those that he was related to because he also was a descendant of Jacob, of Isaac, of Abraham. He was uh, a brother in that sense. But this uh, presumptuous brother who felt now that he could do something to save his people, he was taught a lesson in meekness. David had a son named Absalom, and uh, Absalom thought he was special. And uh, you may recall that he even rebelled against his father. And uh, there's, there's something about people who, who understand that they have a, a certain quality about them that makes them think that they have to act in ways that God does not approve of. Now, Absalom, of course, went on to rebel against David and, and he ended up being killed and, and his rebellion coming to nothing. Well, Moses uh, was kind of in that vein of thought Again, I believe that Moses' mother taught him that he was Israel's hope. Now, that's a big thing to say to a child. You know, son, you're Israel's hope. And he would have to grow into that that role. But one of the things we want to see is that uh, when a nation or an individual or family needs hope, where do they find it? The Scripture says hope in God. Don't hope in a man. Don't hope in uh, any ordinary person, or even a person that is not ordinary in a fully human sense, but hope in God, trust in God. Now, of course, when God sent His Son into the world, it was perfectly right, perfectly normal, that God would say, hope in Him, put your trust in Him. Let Christ take what you need and fulfill it. Well, once Moses had uh, power, he presumed, and, and this is where presumptuousness comes in, he presumed that it was time to save his brethren. And he went out and killed this Egyptian. 
So another lesson here is don't presume. I don't think that God ever said to Moses, uh, when you grow up, go out and kill somebody. Go out even in a good cause, even to try to undo some unjust thing. Don't presume anything from the Lord. Do obey the Scriptures. Do presume that God wants you to obey the Word. But don't presume and run ahead of God and say, okay, I've been called to this work and now I'm going to do it. He had to wait upon the Lord. So he took to himself a position and privilege that had not yet been granted to him by the Lord. Another lesson that God teaches His people, one that we all need to, to keep in mind, it wouldn't hurt you know, if you had this on a little card and glanced at it every once in a while, and that says, wait. And indeed, there is a verse in Scripture, wait thou upon the Lord, but wait. Then again, Moses was not sure in his heart about this calling to be a deliverer, a calling to go out and use his power right at this point. And how do we know that? Well, because uh, when he killed this fellow, he looked to his left, he looked to his right, he said, nobody's looking, must be alright. But if you have that sort of attitude, uh, somebody might be looking, well, then you've already betrayed the fact you're not really sure of what you're doing. Again, don't presume, wait, and note that somebody's always looking. Now you say, well, God is always looking. And that's very important. I hope you never forget that. God is always looking. But, a lot of the time, most of the time, when you think that you're getting away with something in the world, somebody's looking. You see that in these politicians where they've done something and all of a sudden somebody finds an email, somebody finds another document, something that shows that what you did was not right and you may be in trouble. It might not be illegal, but it's embarrassing. But somebody is always looking. And whatever you do, just remember God is looking and probably the world is looking on even if you don't think so. And one of the often given words in the book of Proverbs is, don't say nobody will know. God doesn't even know. That's, that's one of the worst courses that you can possibly take. So what happened? Well, just like uh, Absalom's efforts came to nothing, so did Moses' efforts in this early position that he was in. He ended up fleeing for his life. He ended up having second thoughts about his greatness. And that's where this meekness comes in. Once your carefully crafted and, and very sincere plans kind of fall apart, then you say, maybe I'm not so great after all. And that's where meekness really comes in. If you're a meek person, you're not saying, uh, I can't do anything. Uh, I'm hopeless and helpless. You say, God must have other plans than, than I have formulated. And I just need to be humble before Him. And again, as we said, wait upon Him. So, the presumptuous brother really is a lesson in meekness. And I just quote this uh, verse from Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. And this is down the road a ways, and so we, we can conclude that Moses learned a lot there as, as uh, time goes by. But it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were on the face of the earth. You couldn't have said that about Moses when he went out to kill the Egyptian, when he went out to take matters into his own hands. But later, later it said that he, he was very humbled by all the things that happened to him.
Okay, the second thing is what we might call the blessed sojourner. That's why I titled this message, The Blessed Sojourner. A sojourner is a person who's passing through. Sojourner is a person who is going somewhere he really doesn't have much of an idea, but he's on the, he's on the move. And in Moses' case, we find one running into the arms of the Savior. Running into the arms. He was running away from Pharaoh. He wasn't going to get any salvation there from Pharaoh. He wasn't going to get any salvation from the Israelites who couldn't do anything really to help him. He was just running. But where was he running? In God's care, in God's purpose, he was running right into God's arms. Leaving Egypt, may I say, was one of the best things that ever happened to Moses. And I say one of the best because a lot of good things happened to Moses. And maybe you could even say this wasn't the very best thing, but it certainly was one of the best things that ever happened to Moses, and that is leaving Egypt. Well, where did he go? He went to Midian. Now, I said a few minutes ago that uh, Moses went to whatever university, quote unquote, there was in Egypt. But I want to tell you that Midian, that uh, terrible place, that place of of wilderness and and not a lot of uh, prosperity and so forth, that had a better university than Egypt did. He spent 40 years there in Midian. That's that you know most people graduate in four years. It took Moses 40 years to graduate from the University of Midian, uh, which also has another name. That is the school of hard knocks. He, uh, I'm sure, went through many challenging things in his life there in Midian. But all through that, God was teaching and, and training and preparing him for what would come a bit later. He learned to wait, as we said earlier. You got to learn to wait on the Lord. Wait 40 years and to receive whatever God provides in the meantime, Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And God was there with His arms to receive Moses on the run and make this a blessed sojourn because He was there to provide for everything that He needed. And from all we can tell, He had a very happy life there in Midian. Now, Maybe when we get to heaven, we talk to him and he'll say, well, you don't know some of the hard places and things. But overall, I think he, he had a, an enjoyable life there. He didn't have all the treasures of Egypt and he didn't have his close relatives, but he did have what God provided for him. And thus we have to say that this whole business of his escape from, from Pharaoh was orchestrated by the Lord. Today, even when a person goes on the run, no matter where he goes in the world, he's usually tracked down and brought back. And even in those days, old Pharaoh and his army and his spies and his people, they, they might have caught Moses easily, except that God was orchestrating where he was going to run to. And as I said, it wasn't so much he was running to Midian as he was running into the arms of his Savior, the Lord. And then he was able, even in that situation, to keep some of the good qualities that we had seen in Egypt, among them that he wanted to help people who were in trouble. And that was, uh, I think, one of the characteristics of Moses throughout his life. And when he gets over there and he helps these girls 
uh, against the, the other shepherds who are running them off and making their life difficult. It's just an, an example of the fact that he, he retained some of the things that God gave him that made him so attractive and so useful. But it had to be in God's plan, in God's purpose. And uh, we can say that uh, wherever we are as sojourners, and the Bible says we're pilgrims and strangers or sojourners in this world, that God will provide for us and He'll retain those things that uh, He wants to improve upon and uh, enhance just as He did with Moses. Then thirdly, we have the son of a third family. I've got lots of thirds going on here. The son of a third family, a man of the world. Now by man of the world, I don't mean that uh, he was worldly, uh, that he knew all the sly tricks. Uh, That was his... uh, Ancestor Jacob's uh, recognized quality, if you want to call it a quality, uh, that uh, he was a deceiver. He, he knew all the tricks and slyness and things like this. That's not what we mean by a man of the world. We mean that he was a man who understood the world around him and therefore could adapt to it and, and work in it as God gave him grace to do that. So he comes to a third family. He had the family of Amram and Jochebed, the Israelites, and then the daughter of Pharaoh adopted him. So he had that Egyptian family. And now he goes to Midian. And he is in a third family. And what you just have to say is he's really been exposed to a lot of things over those, those years in different families, different cultures, different ways of looking at things. And God will use that. God's, uh, God gives that as a part of the education. So we have this man, Ruel, who becomes his... Uh, well, maybe his second father anyway. I don't know if he really thought of a father in the Egyptian context. But uh, Ruel, who's also had the name Jethro, and you say, why did he have two names? Well, scholars think that Jethro is a, it's not from the Beverly Hillbillies, by the way, uh, that Jethro is, is like a title, Your Excellency, or Jethro His Highness, or something like that. Now, that doesn't mean that he was a king or anything. He just... That's the way people recognized him as probably like the chief of the clan or something along that line. But Ruel means a friend of God. And uh, that's very interesting because uh, it says that Ruel was a priest. Now we might say, well, what kind of priest was he? Was he a pagan priest? Well, I honestly don't know for sure, but there were people like Melchizedek. He was not uh, from the the, uh, descendants of Abraham per se. Uh, he, he, he even dealt, of course, with, uh, with Abraham. Uh, there was Job. We don't have any, anything saying he was a priest other than the head of his family. But there were people who knew the true God. Uh, they just weren't uh, put into that covenant context of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So to, to give him the benefit of the doubt, anyway, we say that uh, Ruel <clears throat> was a priest of, of the true God, of the Lord. Maybe he didn't know everything, but he knew enough to point people to the true God. Now, what a blessing, you see, to grow up in, in that kind of family also. If he hadn't been taken by the daughter of Pharaoh, of course he would have grown up in an Israelite home and, and they would have taught him the things of God and did teach him to a certain extent. Uh, but uh, now over in this family where he lives for 40 years, he's constantly exposed to people who say, let us trust God, let us worship God, let us uh, have God's leading in our lives. And uh, because of that, then he became very much enculturated in in that away from Israel. And why is that important? Because if you're a man of the world, 
you're not just isolated in one little thing, but you can see people here, you can see people there in the other situation. And Moses needed to have that exposure. And he got it. He became, he became more able, and this is important, he became more able to see the world as God sees the world. No, he didn't go to China or he didn't go to some far off place like that. But he saw enough of the world to be able to, to look at the world as God looks at the world. And to see that, uh, that God is at work not just in one place among one little group of God's people, but He's, he's broadly active in the things that, that go on in the world. He came to have that exposure. All God's people, not just Moses, all God's people need an awareness of the world and how it works and how it suffers. Scripture says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but you need to have that vision. You need to see the suffering. You need to see the need. We said that Moses never lost that desire to help those who are in trouble. And I'm sure that as he was exposed more and more, again, he not only saw things as God sees them, but he felt things in at least a partial way that God feels also. My father ran children's homes in the first part of his ministry. And there are all kinds of kids that came through the children's homes. They were usually from broken homes. They weren't necessarily orphans. But man, they had had all kinds of experiences and things. Now I'm not saying that that didn't hurt them. I'm, I'm sure it did hurt them in many ways. But it also gave them a, a pretty wide view of the world. There was one girl I remember who's actually seen her father kill her mother right in front of her. So there's a lot of exposure, a lot of experience there. When it's sanctified by the Lord and, and that experience is used in a way that uh, will make you helpful to people in many places and in many ways, you can thank God for that. Now we have one other thing. And that is, we're going to call Moses the covenant apostle. Covenant apostle. The covenant was God's establishment of a relationship with His people and the giving of His Word not just to the people of Israel, but to all that would come into contact with them. Uh, an apostle is somebody who is sent. And Moses, though he didn't realize it at the time when he was running away from Pharaoh, he was sent by God to Midian. And ultimately, he was sent by God to the Israelites who were about to be taken out of bondage. Covenant apostle, the answer to somebody's prayer. The Bible says that, and this is in the last part of our passage, that the Israelites were sighing and, and groaning under their oppression. And I'm sure there, there were some of them just cursing and, and really were not thinking of the Lord. But there had to be some like Amram and Jochebed and others who said, Lord God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, help us! And Moses was the answer to those prayers. And may I say to you today, that uh, God is watching many places in the world and hearing many prayers in the world. Somebody is praying for, for help and God says you, and maybe He's talking to me, He's talking to one of us here, but He says you go and help them. But I, I don't have the ability, but that's what Moses said. We'll come to this in the next chapter. He says, I can't speak. How do you expect me to do this? He says, I, I've been humbled. I'm the meekest man that you'll ever see. But God says, that's right. But now I'm going to help you. I'll give you what you don't have. I'll provide for you. You're, you're going to be sent by me. And you're the answer to somebody's prayers. 
And of course, many of the Israelites had slipped into idolatry. They needed someone to say, come back to the Lord, come back to the true God of Israel. And we can assume that uh, part of the, the sighing of the captives indeed was the, the prayer that I just mentioned. But God, and this doesn't mean that He was ignorant of anything, it just says He saw the suffering. He heard the cries. And that's because God never loses His attention, never gets distracted, and never is moved from His purpose. And God was about to act in accordance with His covenant, the covenant He had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, He says, Moses, you're in this covenant too. You chose the right identity. You didn't say, I'm going to stay an Egyptian. You said, I'm going to be, to be one of God's people. And now, as one of God's people... Go and stress this covenant love that I have for my people. And so he would send Moses to be the administrator of that covenant and the receiving of all the laws and things at Mount Sinai and the things that would come later. But he was able to do that because God sent him. He was God's apostle to the covenant people. Moses is very much like the Lord Jesus Christ in that he was a prophet. He was a priest. He was from the Levites. And though he wasn't called a king and never said, I'm the king, but he acted in ways that were the ways of a ruler over Israel. Very much then points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the great apostle and high priest of our faith, the Bible says. That God sent him to be our Savior. And just as Israel needed to have that person come to them at that time. We need our Savior who has come, who has brought salvation. If we trust in Him, then He will lead us ultimately to the blessings, to the land, to the hope that God has set before His people. May we appreciate Moses and, and the things that happened to him and how they affect our lives, but also how that points us to Jesus our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, we would learn from Moses as he learned in many ways and through many situations. Help us to be a people of the world in the sense that we see and understand the suffering and difficulties of the world and see the world as God does. And help us, Lord, to be thankful that uh, You have taken us out of our presumptuousness, humbled us, made us meek, but also made us effective and useful. We thank You for that now in Jesus' name. Amen.